just do it scared. Even if it's not comfortable and you're uncertain of how it's gonna turn out or you don't know what's around the corner, just do it scared. And the next time you do it, it'll get it a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And that's what happened. And I don't know, I was about a year, year and a half in and I finally decided to tell my daughter and she was probably about 16 or 17 then. I was so nervous to tell her and bless her heart, she was so kind and so gracious in receiving it. I like, I was just in tears after I told her because she was so sweet and she did, if anything, she felt bad for me and all that I had to go through. And, she, and I, like I have to remember, she loves me. Just like I love those in my life, I would never think negatively or poorly on anyone or be embarrassed if my friend is wearing hair. You know, it's, it's those silly thoughts that get into your head that sometimes take over and you know they're not rational and you know you would not think that towards someone else, but we're so hard on ourselves. That is being bold. You were saying this so wisely that a lot of people assume being bold is being uber confident and always knowing what the next step looks like. And you're like, but Bet, you know what I figured out? That being bold is, is taking some steps even when you're scared. That probably was really scary. And yet you're like, I'm gonna do it. This is the Living Your Big Bold Life podcast, and I am your host, Bet Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids. I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. I am so genuinely excited for Chris's episode today where she shares vulnerably about her journey with hair loss, her health journey, including some mental health struggles she had and how she has navigated through those, how she has found intermittent fasting and how that has really helped her on her health journey and much more. But I have to admit to you, last week I did not release an episode. And some of you who follow me regularly notice that. Others of you may not have. You might have wondered why I didn't release an episode, and I have to be honest with you. I was feeling a little down, and I don't want to cloud Chris's beautiful interview with some of my words that I'm about to share with you, but I would not be being bold or being honest if I did not. Chris shares over and over about kindness and grace, about not assuming we know, not assuming we ever know what someone is truly going through. And yet, as I watch the news, as I watch Facebook and social media, lately I've been seeing a lot of unkindness, a lot of people prioritizing being right over being kind, a lot of people assuming they know what's best for somebody else. And I know many of us may disagree on things, whether it's politics, how we parent our children, how we eat, how we live, but I will never accept that our differences excuse unkindness. I will tolerate a lot, but I will not tolerate being unkind in the name of being right. I will not tolerate people telling me or others, that they know best for them. That, my friend, they do not. Story after story here on this podcast show that you and your heart knows what's best for you. I'm here to encourage you to live your big, bold life and step into your calling even when you have to do it scared. That's what Chris did. Now, I hope I can be brave enough to do the same. 
and I hope you can too. Here's Chris. Well, Chris is here on Living Your Big Bold Life podcast, and there are many reasons that I am really looking forward to today. Number one, I think Chris is going to provide a really unique and beautiful and bold journey for you to hear. And I, I'm just so humbled that I get to receive these amazing stories from each one of you. And Chris is no different uh, in that regard. And so I was laughing with her before we got started on the interview that my nine-year-old has a full-leg cast upstairs. And mind you, she's my most active child my most active child. <laughs> She's on day two. And it and it's like, a, I thought it'd be like braces where she thought they were cool for a while. And she does think the cast is cool, but we're kind of in this stage of maybe it's wearing off. <laughs> and we're only on day two. So you may hear her playing the piano upstairs on the recording but I'm going to let it slide because we need to distract this child. We need to entertain. So Chris is being so patient and so grace filled in this moment, but without further ado from the Lucas household, piano playing broken leg house. Hi, Chris. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Hello, Beth. It is so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for several weeks now. Well, I want you just to tell us what brought you here today. Why why are you here and what why did you want to come on the show and and share about your journey? Let's yeah. just dive right in. Okay, let's go. Well, first I think it's good to start with a little bit of history. I have been following you I think for about a year now. In fact, I think you just celebrated your 1-year anniversary of your podcast. And I connected with you first in Jen Stevens' group, Delay Don't Deny, on the Facebook page. And somewhere in there, you had posted that you had a new podcast. And I started listening. I've always really enjoyed the variety of folks that you have on as guests and the variety of people that you interview and um, their stories that they share. And it's just encouraged me and inspired me to think about how I've been bold Um And so I've just been thinking about that over the last several weeks, probably the last several months, how have I been bold? And in hindsight, I think sometimes we see that we have been bold when we were doing things and we were afraid or we had a lot of anxiety around things. But one thing that comes to mind when I think about how I have been bold in my life, and it was my decision to start wearing alternative hair which was a huge decision. I went into it completely full of anxiety and just scared to death. I don't think I've ever been so scared to do something in my entire life. Um, And so I reached out to you and said, would you have any interest in sharing that? Because it's not something that we talk a lot about, but a lot of women face this. And unfortunately, we face it alone. And it can um, lead to a lot of grief and loss and depression and anxiety and when you and a lot of people don't understand what you're going through so i thought if i if even one person hears my story and they realize that there is hope out there and i've inspired one person then it's worth it so i'll go ahead and kind of start from the beginning of when i first started to experience my hair loss and i can literally remember the night the week that it happened it was 2009 it was summer it was um, in june And we were doing vacation Bible school. My kids were young and I was helping out during the day. And I remember I'm standing there at dinner and I can just feel hair falling on my shoulder as I'm making dinner. I'm like, okay, this is weird. It's just like falling off. And I could literally feel it hitting my shoulders. And, you know, we've all like shed hair and we'll have a hair on our arm or on our clothes or something, but I could feel it just coming out of my head. And that night I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and it was all over my pillow. And it was just like all this hair, all of a sudden that week just starts falling out. And I was under a little bit of stress at the time, but this just catapulted it. Um, I immediately sensed that this was something serious. I didn't know what was going on. Like, was I sick? What, you know, it was almost like you see and um, or you hear stories or you know about friends who've gone through chemotherapy and their hair just starts coming out. And that's kind of similar to what was happening. And I just, I was completely paralyzed with fear and anxiety about it. And it then took over my every thought for the next several weeks and months. And I started going to the doctor and trying to see if we could figure it out. And 
I would hear things like, well, everybody's hair sheds. And I'm like, yes, but this is not normal for me. And I've had two children and I know what a postpartum shed is like. And I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And, um, well, you're really stressed. If you, if you weren't so stressed, you know, your hair wouldn't be falling out like this. I'm like, but I'm stressed because my hair is falling out. So it was just, it was a terrible, terrible time. And that October, which I don't think you do know this about me, that October, I had a stroke towards the end of the month. And when I was in the hospital trying to figure out what caused the stroke, they said, this is not your first stroke. You've actually had another stroke. And I knew the time that had happened before because something similar had happened. And you have a tumor inside of your heart that we need to go in and remove. So I needed to have open heart surgery to remove the tumor. And um, I was 36 years old, so I was very young. And in my mind, I just wanted them to come back and say, oh, yeah, that was causing your hair loss. Because that would have made complete sense. And that would have been an answer to why my hair was falling out. But that wasn't the cause of my hair loss. So I had my surgery. I recovered well. It was um, a non-cancerous tumor inside of my heart that typically is called a myxoma tumor. And it affects women between the ages of 35 and 60. I was 36. And anyways, that's a whole other story. But I recovered well from that. But the hair loss just kind of continued. And it, it always bothered me but it would kind of also ebb and flow. So I'd go through seasons where the shedding would be a lot and then it would kind of slow down and then there'd be a lot and then it would slow down. And I felt like I was taking three steps forward and four steps back. Like it was never really fully coming back. And over time it was progressively getting worse and worse. So um, my husband, bless his heart, he helped me find some products that would kind of um, camouflage it that I could use to kind of hide the hair loss. But for me, I knew it was, thinning significantly. And it was really tricky because uh, people didn't understand. People didn't Mm -hmm. see it. They couldn't get it. They, you know, well, you still have a full head of hair. And I'm like, I know, but it's really, it's like, trust me, it's, it's, I'm losing it all. Or I felt like in the moment I was losing it all. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know if there was going to be an end in sight. So I just continued to live with it to manage it, but it really affected my self-esteem. I was embarrassed. I, um, what you know a lot of women's beauty in our femininity is tied around our hair and mm-hmm. you know you see these models and these actresses with this long luscious gorgeous hair whether it's pictures been you know photoshopped or not that's what you see yep. and i was afraid my husband would no longer find me attractive that he you know would be repulsed if i lost my hair and things like that and yeah. so it was a real struggle for quite some time I never really came to peace about it. It was always kind of like this underlying sadness that I lived with. And I'm a really happy, positive person by nature. That's just how I am. But there would be mornings I would try to get ready. And I I just like the tears would just come while I was trying to get ready. It's something I had to face and battle every single day. It wasn't something that I could like put over here to the side and pretend it wasn't happening and just deal with it when it was convenient or deal with it when it came up. Every single day I was reminded of the hair loss. And like I said, it was just progressively getting worse and worse. So I would say like by each year I was losing 10% more and 10% more and 10% more. So fast forward a couple of years, I'm still regularly looking for answers, consistently looking for that next miracle cure, that vitamin you can take, that shampoo you can use, all of that. I'm just always looking for something to to stop the hair loss, to get it to grow back. And then at the end of 2012, our family relocated from, we're in central Ohio, and we moved down to Southern Indiana. We were actually on the Indiana side of Louisville. Okay. And we had just moved. My husband started a brand new job working for a major corporation, major distribution corporation. I was not seeing him very often. He was working a second shift. My kids were starting a new school. It was a whole new community for us. I found myself again constantly searching for what was the cause, what, and most importantly, how could I fix it? Like, how, what was the cure? What could I do to turn this around? And I came across this website where this person had recommended the shampoo, and the website was PCOS Diva, and I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what PCOS is. I think I've heard of it. I'm not sure. So I Googled it, and you know, went to WebMD, and it was polycystic ovarian syndrome. And as I'm reading the symptoms, I'm like, oh, I think I have some of those. 
infertility. It took us over five years and lots of fertility treatments to have our, to start our family. I always had really painful and irregular periods. I always kind of carried my weight and still do kind of in my midsection and I'm tall, so I have the benefit of, so I can hide it well, but I always kind of felt like my midsection um, is where I carried it. And now I was experiencing hair loss. So at the time I went to see a nurse practitioner I had found down there and was working with her trying to discover or figure out what was going on with my hair loss. And at this point we are um, three and a half years into the hair loss, I think in 2012. So it's, it's been a minute. It's definitely not a season where it was gonna, you know, it was just a season of stress or a postpartum shed or something like that. So I went to her and I said, do you think maybe I have PCOS? And she said, well, you don't look like someone who has PCOS. And I think you had, you know, you had a guest on recently, I think was it uh, Carrie Jones, Dr. Carrie Jones, who talked about that. I think she had maybe had gone to her doctor and they said the same thing, but I was tall and on the slender side and I just didn't look like it. And so she's like, well, I don't think you have that. You don't look like someone. I was like, okay, thinking you're the professional, you know, so. Yeah. But she said, if you want us to test you, we can. I was like, okay. So I went home and it just kind of weighed on my heart. And yeah. a couple of weeks later, I went back to her and I said, yeah, I think I want to be tested. And she tested and they use a, they use an ultrasound for that. And she immediately said, oh, there's your strain of pearls. You have PCOS. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and I think this is good for a few people to know. So I'm, I get told a lot that I simplify things like that is a, it's a gift and a curse. Mm -hmm. I I probably have to in my day, but I think very simply, a lot of people don't know if you have PCOS, what do they do to Mm -hmm. test for it? So they give you an ultrasound. A vaginal ultrasound. A vaginal Mm -hmm. ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And then those string of pearls is often your sign. And I find it really interesting that the majority of people that I find either have thyroid issues or PCOS issues, a lot of them are dismissed if they are not overweight. Mm-hmm. I, I at the end of the day, and I think that's why I'm so glad you're sharing because I think there's a lot of women out there and maybe men who are going for certain uh, they're having certain symptoms, but maybe they they aren't their issue isn't that they're as overweight as some, and so they're kind of dismissed. Like, oh no, you you don't look like it. That's what I hear a lot. You don't look like you the typical PCOS patient, right? So what happened in that moment? In that moment, you're having this ultrasound. You're seeing this. Now, were you relieved or were you just like, crap? You would think that I would have been relieved because I literally prior to that was basically on my hands and knees praying, God, give me an answer. Help me figure out what's going on. But when I got that diagnosis, I was 40 years old and I felt like the world just crumbled all around me because for me, I realized the hair loss was permanent because that's one of the symptoms and the side effects of PCOS that it probably, it wasn't going to grow back because I had been holding on to hope for three plus years that it was all going to grow back. And so for me, it was the beginning of a season of very serious depression. Very, um, I was diagnosed with uh, severe depression and had to be hospitalized a couple of times. And again, there were a lot of things going on in my life. It wasn't the sole thing. And I also have a genetic predisposition to hair loss, but I also have a genetic predisposition to mental health issues. So it was just Mm kind of like all of that kind of piled on. And I remember we were actually getting ready to go. We traveled to Phoenix um, for a family vacation and they wanted to prescribe me the birth control pill. And I was so desperate for answers. I literally started birth control. I literally filled my prescription out in Phoenix. So here I am living in Southern Indiana. I was like, I got to get on it right now because if I get on it right now, so I could feel myself kind of slipping down a slippery slope while we were on vacation. And, um, when I came back, I immediately called my doctor and met with them and had to go back on. I went back on medication for mental health. So if I could do a little plug right now too, it's just the importance of our mental health. And there's a lot of stigma around it. Although I do feel like we're much better today than we were 10 years, 20 years ago, but um, mental health is health. It is physical health. And there is no shame in admitting that you need help. There is no shame in taking medication. There is no shame in checking yourself into a facility if you need to for a period of time. And if you have a loved one who 
is not acting like their normal selves, if you are seeing changes in them, please, please reach out to them. I am so thankful for my family, for my husband, for my my sister, my dad, my mother-in-law. They all kind of rallied around me and supported me to get the help that I needed in that moment. So um, that's really important that we all recognize, not just in ourselves, but in each other, because it could be, because when you're going through it, there's a chance that you may not see it or you don't want to admit it or you don't want to be a burden to anybody, but being able to see it in others that you love or that you know is one of the ways that you can help them. I think that's huge. Yes. Thank you for sharing that and so willing to be vulnerable and share that because it just, it's so hard to see so many people kind of suffering in the dark a little Mm -hmm. bit and and, or in, in, in hiding Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's like you said, it's better than it was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but it's still, we still have a lot of work to do. And I am so grateful that you're sharing it. And everyone today might not watch a video of this interview, but like, just like you are, you don't look like you would have had PCOS. I feel like sometimes there's this stigma around mental health too, mm-hmm. and that you have to if you're world if you're struggling with your mental health then you look a certain way or that everything's just falling apart and it's going to be so obvious and i think what you epitomize is no it, it's much more complicated than that mm-hmm. and so thank you thank you for sharing but keep yeah. going please. yeah no so this was um summer of 2020 12. so for me it was the i don't say the nail in the coffin but that was the you have alopecia and the type of alopecia I have is called androgenic alopecia. So it is female pattern hair loss, male pattern hair loss, which just like an overall diffuse of hair. So where it might start mm-hmm. kind of on the top of your scalp or maybe around your ears. And it just generally all over um, falls out. And there's a couple of other types of alopecia. There's alopecia, and I might pronounce these wrong, areata, and that's spelled A-R-E-A-T-A. And those are people that lose hair in patches. So they might like have a patch of hair that's missing. And right. then there's, that. yeah. And then there's alopecia totalis, which is where you might just lose all, lose all the hair on your head and your eyelashes and your eyebrows and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's another type of alopecia called alopecia universalis. And it is people that lose the hair on their entire body. And I know sometimes you're like, oh, great. I lost the hair on my legs. I don't need to shave my legs anymore. <laughs> However, our hair is a protect it's there for a reason so the hair in our nose our eyelashes the hair in our ears that all keeps things filtered from coming into our systems that aren't meant to be there so there are different types of alopecia and i just have the one type that's just kind of like diffuse it's very common a lot of women have it a lot of men have it and there's just no cure for it and i really appreciate you outlining those and i also think someone who might be going through chemotherapy can also relate to this and and maybe family members can understand why not only it's it's hard but also why they're cold like uh-huh. it definitely you're colder when you lose when you uh-huh. lose that kind of hair and that's why I'll notice like they'll want to wear a hat or something to kind of keep the heat in. My husband, my husband uh-huh. is doesn't have hair on his head. And I'll always be like, hey, take your hat off. Like uh-huh. I'll, t- I'll tell him to take his beanie off or something. And he's like, bet you don't understand how cold uh-huh. it is when you have a bare head. Like it's it's a pro- it protects you, but it also keeps warmth in too. So you've gone through a lot. I mean, you had a stroke, which come to find out you had had a couple, you have Mm -hmm. the surgery on your, your heart, you're still trying to figure out why am I losing hair? Mm -hmm. You figure out you have PCOS, and you were hopeful that maybe that was the reason and then come to find out though, the hair loss is permanent, and that you Mm -hmm. do have a form of alopecia. And you're kind of struggling with depression through all of this, which makes complete sense. Right. You're, you know, whether it's you were dealing with some physical pain, physical trauma, and then you're just going through a lot. And that's not probably naming a lot of other things you might've been going through. Right. Speaking of hearts, I mean, I just can't even imagine. I mean, it uh-huh. just must've been a lot. And looking back, what do you feel like you wish you could have told Chris, you know, what, what's, mm-hmm. what is something you wish you could have told her or what did someone say to you during those times that f- 
that really helped you? Was there Are there things looking back that were really kept you going in a really time of probably, I don't know, that I, I could see where you're just like, huh. I, yeah. There are a couple things. So what someone could have said to me, and I may have had a few people that said this to me, but um, it just comes back down to if someone is grieving, oftentimes we want to try to fix that for them. We want to say that perfect thing that's going to turn them around. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, I'm sorry. I don't understand what you're going through, but I'm sorry. Because I think people, they loved me, they cared about me, but they would dismiss it. And they would say, oh, it's not so bad, or I don't really see it, or everyone loses their hair, or, you know, my husband, God love him, like your husband, he's bald. And he's like, well, I don't have any hair. And I'm like, but it's very socially acceptable. And actually many men are very attractive bald. <laughs> it is very it is. different. You don't see bald, beautiful women walking around. Um, but what I would have said to myself, because for so many years I lived in fear that I would ever be happy again, that I would truly be happy and I would have joy in my life. And what I would say to myself then is you will find joy and happiness again. You will. It can happen. It may not happen overnight, but there is hope that you can be the happy, joyful person that you have always been. And that's what I would say to myself, because one of the other things you deal with is there's a term called disenfranchised grief, and that is a grief that someone is experiencing that society doesn't understand. So in addition to grieving the loss of my hair, grieving the loss of what I felt was my beauty, fearing that my husband would no longer be attracted to me, there was a tremendous amount of guilt and shame that I was feeling bad about this when in my mind, so many people were dealing with much bigger issues. So it's like, I felt really, really bad that I was losing my hair and I felt I was devastated, but then I also felt guilty for feeling that way because nobody was terminally sick. Everyone was healthy. And it's just this constant struggle of back and forth. And then you add in the anxiety, the diagnosed depression, and it was just, it was, um, it was a lot. Yeah. You know, I think you have so many gems there that I, and and piece of advice. Number one is if someone in your life is going through something and you can tell it is, it's a lot of weight on them, no matter what, saying, I'm sorry, I don't completely understand what I'm sorry, is a great place to, to be. I just think that advice is so key because like you said, we all want to come in and try to fix it or we want to downplay it. And we think downplaying it is helping that person. Like, oh, Chris, you look beautiful. You look great. It's really not that big of a deal. And the intent is good. The intent was good, but it hurt. And then, meanwhile, you're you're this person who is saying, well, gosh, I shouldn't feel bad about this. Why am I feeling so bad about this? Why am I caring? I should just love myself for who I am. And, oh, my gosh, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, that's a lot. Uh, yeah. But I think there's a lot of people out there that um, struggle with that. And so you call, say – Say what you called that again. I was going to write that down. Disenfranchised Disenfranchised grief. So it's a grief that you experience that for the most part, society doesn't quite understand. So for example, say the loss of a pet. It's not a child, but it's still a pet and it's still something you care very, very much about. Or maybe um, you, the loss of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or the breakup of a boyfriend and girlfriend. It's not a divorce but can still have as much of an impact. So the loss of hair, I didn't lose a limb, Mm -hmm. but it was still a part of me that I lost. And it was changing how I saw myself and my identity and who I was. And the other thing that I want to highlight is that to me, the word hope is very clear there that you wanted, if you were going to talk to yourself in that moment, that's bold hope. You're saying, Mm -hmm. I know you don't see it right now. I know you don't feel it right now. And I think that's a listener out there today is going to hear this. And they're going to say, but I don't feel it. But I don't know if I'm going to experience joy again. But I don't know if I'm going to experience happiness again. And I think what you're saying is, no, there is hope. There's bold mm-hmm. hope that you that you will get through this and, and uh, might not be very clear 
on how today, but that's I I hear that that's what you you're telling your for, your your mm-hmm. your younger self. You're saying uh, there's there's hope. So how did how did this now transition to healing? How did we go from these kind of taking some steps and probably some steps forward, some steps back, mm-hmm. but how do you, how, what was kind of next for you on this journey? Yeah. So that was in 2012, 13. And in 2014, we made the decision to move back to central Ohio and we had actually only been away for 16 months. So it was kind of like some people didn't even know we were gone, just hadn't seen us in a while. So we moved right back to the same community that we lived in. I ended up going back to work for the same, I worked at a church and went back to the same local church that I was working in. And I would say it was kind of steady. Like at that point, I'd maybe lost 50% of my hair. I could still camouflage it, still hide it pretty well, but it was still progressing. It wasn't coming back. And a couple of years later, I was again, always, I was always searching for like something. We can talk about this in a little bit, but it reminds me a lot of, you know, I've heard a lot of podcasts and stories about people who've um, battled obesity and how they're always searching for that next diet, that next thing to do. So mm-hmm. I realized there's so many connections that I hadn't thought about until I started thinking about our talk and our conversation that we were going to have. Yes. But somewhere in that search, I came across a, a website, a blog called, um, Corner of Hope in Maine, M-A-N-E. And it's run by a really lovely person named Lauren. And she had a private community that you could join. And she wore alternate hair. And you wouldn't even tell. If you were walking down the street and saw her, you would have no idea that she um, had on hair. And so I started following her. And that led to finding there was this whole community on Instagram. And so I set up a hair account. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I started following and, you know, one account led to another person led to another person. And I started to see everyday people just like myself live in their normal everyday lives, wearing alternate hair or, or alternative hair. And so I finally, I think it was probably the end of 2016, got the courage to order my first piece. I had searched here in my town of, or my city of Columbus and found a great salon down there, downtown. And she had this private room where you could go on and try on pieces. And um, she had a lot of patients who were going through cancer, but a lot of women who just battled hair loss or yes. just wanted to have some extra hair. There are all kinds of folks who wear hair. So I ordered my first piece. In hindsight, it was very small, not a lot of hair, and she customized it and she colored it for me. And you would think like, oh, okay, all my problems are solved. I've got hair now. I can wear it. I was terrified, terrified to wear it. I was afraid everyone was going to be able to tell. I was so nervous and I was starting to have like almost panic attacks about it. I remember my husband like, I don't know what to do. Like, you wanted, like you wanted to do this and get this hair and explore this yeah. route, and now we've done it, and now you're having a panic attack. And it just took some time. But um, the great thing about this Instagram community is they are, like I said, women just like us, just living our lives, doing our thing. And there were some great people out there that kind of helped talk me off the ledge a few times. And I remember one of them, her name is Amber, and I was like messaging her on Instagram. I was like literally having a panic attack as I got to work. And she's like, it's okay. And she's like helping me, you know, figure it out and stuff. And I, you've got this, it's okay. And and I promise no one will be able to tell and this and that and giving me some tips. And long story short, I eventually got the courage to wear the hair out, like to a work event with my husband's coworkers because I hardly ever saw them. So they would have no idea. And then I got the courage to wear it to another event. And then finally mustered up the courage to wear it in my office. Now, you know, in the office, you have those fluorescent lights that are like, I was so like terrified, like I had a spotlight right on my head and everyone would be able to tell, but no one noticed. No one said a thing. And, you know, and I had done a lot of research and found a good piece. And so I started wearing hair and that was, um, Lauren from the corner of hope in Maine. She gives the advice, just do it scared and just do it scared even if it's not comfortable and you're uncertain of how it's going to turn out or you don't know what's around the corner, just do it scared. And the next time you do it, it'll get it a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And that's what happened to where I now um, own several pieces. I now wear them. I'm very open about it. Um, if someone compliments my hair, I almost always say, oh, thanks. It's a hair piece. Or like, I, you know, I just, I tell them. 
in the beginning, I also, because I was anxious about it, nervous about it, I kind of hid all the hair pieces in my closet because I didn't want my kids to see them because I was Mm. afraid that it would upset them or that they would be really embarrassed. So I remember, um, like I would hide them, like we have, you know, double hanging clothes racks and stuff. And I would kind of hide them behind the clothes. And I didn't want my husband to see him because I didn't want him to be turned off by it or anything. So I went probably a good full year of kind of just doing it kind of um, secretively mm-hmm. and um, hiding the pieces. And I don't know, I was about a year, year and a half in, and I finally decided to tell my daughter. And she was probably about 16 or 17 then. I was so nervous to tell her. And bless her heart, she was so kind and so gracious in receiving it. I like, I was just in tears after I told her because she was so sweet. And she did, if anything, she felt bad for me and all that I had yes. to go through. And, she, and I, yes. like, I have to remember, she loves me. Just like I love those in my life. I would never think negatively or poorly on anyone or be right. embarrassed if my friend is wearing hair. You know, it's, it's those silly thoughts that get into your head that sometimes take over. And you know they're not rational, and you know you would not think that towards someone else, but we're so hard on ourselves. We are so hard so on ourselves sometimes. Hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I just I love that you just listened to Amber, and mm-hmm. you just you did it scared, and you were sharing before we started today that that is being bold is that a lot of people, you were saying this so wisely, that a lot of people assume being bold is being uber confident and always knowing what the next step looks like. And you're like, but Bet, you know what I figured out? That being bold is is taking some steps even when you're scared. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that probably was really scary. And yet, you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so that's a year later. You, a year later, you tell your daughter, mm-hmm. you become more and more comfortable about it. What other pieces is a, of advice would you want to share to someone who might be going through this or something similar? Mm-hmm. What, what, what other things now after reflecting back do you feel like you've learned through this? I think with regards to the hair loss, for me, the solution wasn't in a magical cure. Um, and I, and that's hard because in the beginning stages of, of experiencing hair loss, I was really hoping to find something that would turn things around. And even I, because I came to you through the intermittent fasting world, it's even crossed my mind a time or two. Gosh, I wonder if I would have started this years ago, if it would have affected my hair loss. But I let that thought go right out of my mind because for me, my peace came Truly, when I accepted the hair loss and I found the solutions in the alternative hair. Um, Now, I know that would be really hard for someone who's just starting out in their journey of hair loss and maybe it's just started. And for them, maybe they will find something that helps as far as medication or a change in lifestyle. But for me, it was the total peace came when I accepted finding the hair. I think I've also always been somebody who extends a lot of grace to people, but just that reminder that you just never, never, never know what someone else is going through. And even if you do know, you're not walking their steps. You're not walking on their journey. And to just continue to extend grace to those around me and those I encounter, because you just don't know what they're going through. And I lived, you know, I started wearing hair comfortably probably mid 2017 and and it still took me like another year or two to get really comfortable and be open about it which is fine you can choose to tell people or not tell people there you know women go do it both ways in the community but that means i lived from 2009 to 2017 with just kind of this underlying sadness just like this Mm -hmm. this the tears were almost always under the surface and sometimes they would kind of hit me when i was least expecting it But just kind of like this, this, there was that one piece that was always missing that, that joy that was always missing of just truly being able to be myself. So for me, the peace and the joy came when I finally accepted wearing hair and I embraced it and now I have fun with it and it is fun. And people ask me questions and I'm completely open about it, but that was a journey. Again, that wasn't a bold choice, you know, as soon as I 
discovered that this was a lifelong diagnosis. That was, it took time to get to this point. And just to extend your self-grace too. I mean, I could be frustrated that it took me so long to get to this point, but that doesn't do any good. It doesn't change my history. It doesn't change what happened and it doesn't change what I learned along the way, which I don't know if I would have learned that had my experience been any different. Yeah. And on our health journey, it's interesting as I reflect, there's a fine line between, and in life, just what we accept and what we still can change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really an interesting one, right? And you you had to accept certain things that were out of your control and find a peace with that. There wasn't something, but then there's other times on our health journey where maybe we accept it and but it still needs to change. Uh-huh. Maybe a good example is, you know, I I had kind of accepted certain things about my health as a busy, crazy mom years ago that I really, it was great. I was loving myself and accepting it, but there were things I could improve on. And it's that there's those two worlds. And I, I just, I think you provide such wisdom for people out there that are saying, that you're saying, this was something that was out of my control. This was happening. This was, this was my path. And I could fight it and, and fight it and be stressed about it. But at some point, I had to accept it. Uh-huh. And that's when your peace uh-huh. kind of came. Probably not overnight. No, not, <laughs> not at overnight, all. Not at all. I mean, it's a, and that's what I love, too, is your honesty there. Because life is not a, an overnight transformation. It's, it's a constant evolving. I mean, like I always say, I'm going to be still probably working on my journey until the day that I die. Uh-huh. And that, that's, that's really, that's really amazing. So thank you. Today, how is your health? How are you feeling, you know, both physically, mentally, what's helping you today? Yeah. So, um, and that's interesting. You, I love that idea of the things that you can accept and the things that you need to change. And that's something I think a lot of us have to unpack. And it's probably not a clear cookie cutter answer for everybody. And so um, another part of my journey has been when I got really sick um, back in 2012, I lost a lot of weight and I wasn't meaning to, I was not trying to, I was very unhealthy. I was very mentally unwell. And then we moved back to central Ohio and I started to get better and I was mentally well and healthy and I started to gain some weight. And, and that was okay. In the beginning, I was like, I'll gain the 10, 15 pounds if it means I'm mentally well. Absolutely. And, and even now I would say that today, if it was like my mental health or I would absolutely. Um, and then the, you know, the 10 pounds turned into 20 and turned into 30. And I was, that's a whole, you know, in your forties, life after 40 is very different. Totally. <laughs> but one of those things like kind of what what can you like i have to accept the hair loss there's there's just there's no cure out there for it right now it hasn't been invented or discovered but my solution was wearing alternative hair but with as i was my body was changing i was gaining weight i was like ah i don't want to accept that so (laughs) i was like i can change that so what can i do so i went to some of the things that had always worked for me and they were no longer working which i think we've all heard that story several times after we get to a certain age But that's when I discovered intermittent fasting. So being on intermittent fasting for the last two years, I just um, celebrated my two-year IF anniversary a couple um, weeks ago, has really started this kind of journey towards health. So I'm in a great place now with my health. I mean, the weight was one thing, but all the other health benefits I have gained, I would absolutely stay for, stay in intermittent fasting for all of that. I am much more aware of my health as far as a female, so our hormones. And I know we've kind of chatted back and forth on Facebook about that, about how our cycles play into our health, um, how the foods we eat affect our health. Um, You introduced me to Cynthia Thurlow, who I'm now a huge fan of hers. And she's introduced me to um, other wonderful professionals and experts in this area. Um, But to get back to your question, my my physical health is really good. And my mental health is really good. And it's been a journey. And I've kind of 
and part of it's also maybe because of my age. I think I hear, you know, sometimes when you get into your forties, you start reflecting on things and, and just different life experiences and um, things that have happened have allowed me, or um, I've had to need to go back and look at my past in my childhood and some of that and how that all of those experiences we take into our adulthood and we take it into our relationships, into our marriages, into our parenting and for parents. So I've done a ton of work around that. And, and the fact that I'm even able to share this story, you know, one is I know that I'm going to give myself some credit. It's bold to be able to share this story because I know if you would have asked me three years ago, I was being really hush hush about it. And I didn't want anyone to know. And I'm like, who am I <laughs> just getting out there? Like <laughs> she's going to put my it. name out there and everyone's going to know it's me and it's okay. And I'm like, totally, I'll put things on my own Facebook page once in a while. And I'll, you know, someone's like, Oh, I love your hair. I'm like, thanks. It was a wig. And I'm just really, you know, I'm just in a really good place at where I'm at right now with my mental health, my physical health. And I'm also, but you also talk a lot about tool belts and having the tools and how intermittent fasting is one tool. I, there are a lot of tools I have gained in my toolkit over the last decade, but even the last five years. And with regards to my mental health in particular, I know at any time, if I feel overwhelmed or things are starting to not feel right, I can talk to people. I can go back to the doctor and get on medication. I can see a counselor, which I do. I mean, there are lots of tools that I have. I can, I can meditate. There are a lot of things I do. I have a lot of tools that I'm acquiring. I continue to acquire those tools. And I think that's really important. And that's one thing that you teach us that I love, like have all these tools because you can use them at different times. You may not need them all today, but tomorrow you may need this one. And next week you need that one. Yeah. It's so important because we get kind of black and white on things, right? I'm only using this tool. This tool is the best tool. It's the only tool. And life is so much more beautiful and complex and dynamic than that. And our health and the tools we need to serve our health need to be too. And and as we age, they're going to change and evolve and and what worked for us yesterday might not work for us tomorrow. And we might be wrong too. I mean, that's the other thing that I want to make very clear on this podcast. There might be things that I am adamant about today that in five years I go, you know what? That was crazy. That doesn't work for me now. Or And that's what we, you know, that's being bold is that we can honestly say, this is what's working for me now. And these are the tools that I have. And I'm going to try, try having as many as possible so that I can be as healthy as possible and give back more. Uh And that's what, that's what being healthy allows us. It's don't let that voice tell us that, you know, when we pursue health, it, it lets us give back less. No, no. It, it gives back more. And it doesn't mean that if you're at a tough spot mentally or physically, that your ability to give back is nothing. It's not that. It's just some of us need that reminder to prioritize our health so that we can give, uh-huh. give back more. I want to touch on something that you said on um, we never know what people are going through. I just don't know why, and it must just be human nature, on why that's so hard for us to really let sink in. Like, why do we, you know, the grocery, the gal at the grocery check, the checkout line, she's checking out your groceries and she's really crabby. You can either react to that or you can say, you know what? Her husband might have left her today. She might have just got a bill that she can't pay. Her granddaughter might have just lost her baby. I mean, there's so many things that that I think if we if if we could just all try a little bit harder there and and we're all going to be imperfect at it cuz we're human, right? But just think a little bit further into what all that person may be going through because you were going through a lot and I bet barely anyone knew. Right. I bet barely anyone knew. And I can relate. I remember there'd be different times I'd go to work and it's not like at work, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm struggling with this, 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 and this. So I think in those areas where people can't share as much, or it's not the right venue, we need to extend even more grace. We Mm -hmm. need to say, 
hey, that person seems crabby or that person seems or maybe even someone's speeding by you on the highway. Well, maybe they're speeding to the hospital. Maybe they're speeding because I guess the more we can just double check ourselves, the better because there were probably people that it, that did that for you. There were mm-hmm. probably people that that said, "Chris, I love you. I don't understand, but I'm sorry." Or or they just were extra kind to you that day. Mm-hmm. Extra kind to you when you were super sad, mm-hmm. and they had no clue what was going on. Right? Gosh, we'd just be this world would just be so much even more beautiful. I couldn't agree more. And I think there are so many reasons why people don't share one we're kind of a culture like hey how are you doing oh i'm fine like even you know I'm like fine. think about the work environment or at church or your passing neighbors or whatever and it's not so much what i have learned it's not so much that um they're trying to be um untruthful but maybe they feel like they might be a burden by yes. sharing with you or maybe they aren't sure how to process what's going on. Maybe they just know they don't feel well, something's not right, but they can't identify it or they're still trying to figure things out or maybe they want to keep it in the family. Um, or they want to keep it kind of like, or, and some people are more private naturally and that's totally fine. I'm a pretty open book. Like that's just me. That's just my personality. I share a lot, but I also respect my friends and family who are more private. And I I understand that as well. And my husband tends to be more private. So for example, when we were going through fertility many years ago, um, he wasn't comfortable with me sharing that with people in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But for me, I I need to be able to process it out loud with someone else and especially someone that cares about me and I can trust them to help me to be able to manage what I'm going through. And that was, that was one of the challenges with hair loss. I didn't, I had some friends that I could talk to and I have a great group of of friends. I really do, but it was hard, you know, not everyone could see it or could understand it. And I felt like I had to keep a lot of it inside and a lot. And some of that was just me feeling like I needed to keep it inside. And some of it was like, I mean, my gosh, when I'm going through it for like eight or nine years before I find a solution, Nobody wants to hear about me continue to complain about my hair loss. It's not that they don't love me. They do. They absolutely love me. And they were always there for me. But I think there's a lot of reasons to get back to your point. There's a lot of reasons people don't share what's going on. And we can counteract that with grace. So we may not know the person, you know, who just cuts us off, you know, in the, um, on the interstate and stuff, what they're going through. Maybe they're just being a jerk. Okay, so what? Or maybe they're having a really tough day and do I need to honk, lay on my horn and start cussing and, and I'm just going to get my own blood pressure up, which doesn't help the situation at all. Right. It does yeah. nothing. It yeah. does nothing. Right. It's like when my kids are being little turkeys that I just elevate myself to being a turkey too. I'm like, oh, what did mm-hmm. that accomplish? Yeah. But you know, I look at the awkward times for me and you pointed out some really good times. I think one well, how do you answer it when it's like you don't really have the time to share or it's not really the place to share and yet you want to be honest? But I remember, so because I've had a lot of kids, a lot of people assume that, you know, I'm just fertile myrtle, right? And there were times where we were trying for a long time and, you know, nothing happened. And there were times we miscarried and, I'd go into my office and it would be like, bet, when's the next kid or when's this? And it's one of those things, that's another one where I want to be honest. At the same time, I don't really want to be like, well, I miscarried a month ago. And, you know, it's this, you want to be authentic. And so I guess I want to also say that take that one step further is to extend grace but also kind of that those are moments where I wasn't going to announce it at my office like hey you know I'm going through this growth was probably the appropriate place uh or time and yet I was going through that Uh and so I that's where I can really I feel like empathize with you and so many others that there are things you're taking to work today or you're taking to your church or you're taking to your school. And 
it's not maybe the right place, but you're just going around answering, yeah, I'm fine and I'm fine. And what I heard from you is maybe the key is finding people that you can share the not fine with. Right. I think is key. You know, you have, whether it's your friends or your church community or whatever that may be, but, or family, of course, like, but maybe that's the key. I think that keeps us sustained when we're not fine, but we've answered we're fine all day. And some people would say, well, you should say I'm not fine. Well, yeah, but there's certain arenas it's just not appropriate. If I'm in a boardroom with 10 people, they're like, hey, Matt, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm not going to be like, well. Uh-huh. It, it, that's not the right. So there's that fine line that I, I find interesting. Um, so I know we are kind of coming to the end. There's so much more I would love to pick your brain on. But, you know, I've started a few in a few interviews asking a bold question. So you are a deaconess. Uh-huh. And I've had all faith backgrounds on this show. Uh, so I've had people that aren't practicing any faith on this show, but I always find it interesting when someone has kind of a bold career and being a deaconess, that's bold. When did you become a deaconess in the Methodist church? And, uh, tell us a little bit about your job. Sure. So I was commissioned as a deaconess in the middle of the pandemic in May of 2020. It's funny because that was supposed to be a really crazy month. My daughter was graduating high school. I was going to be um, consecrated and commissioned as a deaconess, and my husband was turning 50 all within about eight or 10 days of each other. And I remember leading up to that month just feeling overwhelmed, like all that we needed to do that month. And then the world kind of shut down, and I felt really bad. I'm like, I'm so sorry, friends. I didn't mean for the whole world to shut down. I just needed like to get through May. But anyways... Yay. I have been, as I mentioned, when I came back to Ohio, I went back to working at a local church that I was at. I've been working in a ministry in some capacity for a little over 10 years. And somewhere along the way, I just felt called to more. And I didn't know what I was called to. I um, A lot of it was a lack of confidence, feeling that, mm-hmm. that um, my understanding of the higher faith is God. So I'll refer to that higher power as God that God would actually be calling me. And I knew I wasn't called to be a pastor, um, but what does that look like? So I just started discerning and taking classes and praying and exploring. And I took a class, I live right next to a seminary here in Columbus, and that affords me to audit a class. So I audited a class and I audited a class um, because I wanted to try it out what that was like as an adult with children and working and all this and mm-hmm. had a wonderful experience. And then that led to me taking another class, which then led to me learning about the role of deaconesses and home missioners, which is our, which are our counterparts in the United Methodist Church. And we are lay people who are called to the work of love, service and justice within the church. And we are um, consecrated and commissioned to do work and our the work that we do needs to be approved by our local bishop and so i thought about it for a long time and prayed about it and our church is going through some changes right now i think it's pretty common knowledge the united methodist church is we're we're working on some things and i just you know i wasn't sure i wanted to make a lifetime commitment to a church that i wasn't sure what it was going to look like when it was all, mm-hmm, when the dust mm-hmm. kind of settled. And um, and I remember one day just listening to the news, watching the news and just crying because there's just so much heartache, especially when you watch the national news, like all these things going on, you know, shootings and natural disasters and all kinds of things. And I remember feeling like I could no longer just sit around and say, well, I'll pray. I needed to, to do something to feel like I was contributing back. And, um, and, but I was still unsure about the direction the church was going. So I had a friend say to me, well, you cannot do this or you can do this and choose to be part of the change mm-hmm. that you desire in the church. And um, so I went ahead and started classes. They were graduate level classes and it was, it took me a couple of years and, and I did all that. And I am now serving as a deaconess in our conference here in Ohio. And I work for two local churches and I do all the communication. So I run social media accounts and websites and all the electronic stuff, all that fun stuff. But 
it's been quite a journey and I'm always open to where God might be calling me to next. So I think what I, when I reflect on what, there are many things I want for this podcast, but what I hear from you is you stepped into what you felt called to be and what you felt called to do. And I think whether listeners are Methodist or whatever faith background you may be, or you're not currently of any faith, if you could leave saying, I am going to step into what I am called to be and what I am called to do, that, and you are going to do it scared, like uh-huh. you said, you're going to do it scared. Wow, that's bold. Uh-huh. That is that is just beautiful. And I, it's such an example of our we can all be different. We can all have different journeys, different backgrounds, different faiths, different everything. But we can be inspired by each other. And we've lost that a little bit. And, and that's why I ask these bold questions, because we think we all have to be the same to, to help each other and inspire each other. And, and we don't. And we think we have to be, we have to do it with uber confidence. We don't. Uh-uh. Like, I just... Uh-uh. I love that. So you've given us so so many pearls of wisdom today, but is there any other piece of bold advice that you want to leave the listeners with? You know that I'm going to, I wrote so many of yours down today. I, 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 uh, there's going to be a lot for them today. I would say the biggest piece of advice, looking at all the different things that we talked about today would be to find those people in your life that you can trust. And I think we all have them. And I I pray and hope that everyone has someone they can name at this moment, but, but find those people that can walk along a journey with you. And some people are in our lives for a lifetime and sometimes they're in for a season. And, um, you know, having friends and family that could talk to about my hair loss and my infertility and my call to be a deaconess, and they weren't all the same person in each of those seasons. It was different people. But find those people that you can walk through life, can encourage you, can support you, and can help you make those bold decisions, even if you're doing it scared. And in turn, be that for other people. Be that person that is there for someone else that walks along the journey with them, even if you do not understand what they're going through. I don't have to understand what it's like to have a sick child or an, you know, a parent who needs now 24 hour care, but I can still be your friend and I can still listen and I can still cry with you and I can still hold your hand and run errands for you, do whatever I can do to support you. So I think my, my biggest piece of advice is find who those people are in your life. Ah, amen. Well, for anyone out there that hasn't found those people, I hope, I think Chris and I hope you do because they are such huge players in our lives. I I look at the people that listened to me when I was going through hard times or when I had dreams, like you said, like your dreams, even my dream of the podcast. I can tell you today the 10 people in my life that really when I told them they lit up and they're like, oh, and they're, I mean, those people were so impactful. I, I you're so right. I, I'm gonna, I should text them today, thanking them <laughs> and reminding them how grateful, how grateful I am. Well, I'm grateful for you today and our time together. Thanks for teaching me so much, Chris. Can't wait for the next time. And where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about your story, uh, if they so choose. Mm-hmm. Well, probably the quickest and easiest way to find me is in your Facebook group, Big Bull Life. And if they're interested in connecting with me on Instagram, that is great. I don't get on that page as often because I, right. you know, I'm living my life. Um, but I'd be happy to share with them my Instagram account information. Um, and if they're also interested in finding some other resources on hair loss and some inspiration and support, they can search some hashtags such as hair loss, fake hair, androgenic alopecia, female pattern hair loss. And that'll take them to some wonderful accounts um, that they can follow for support, encouragement, inspiration, whatever the case may be. Well, 
I was so impressed by Chris and her uplifting message uh, to so many of us that Chris is one of our moderators. And she's she and all the moderators of uh, Motivated with Big Bold Life are very patient with me. I am a very imperfect group host, but I just, hey, we're just here to encourage each other. And Chris does a lovely job. So I hope you come find her and uh, bless you. Thank, Thank you. you. Time. This has been a joy. Thank you, Beth. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, BetLucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.